And I just want to welcome everyone here tonight and everybody that's listening on our podcast channel. And tonight we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. And the title to the teaching tonight is called Learning into Living. And Paul, after spending 11 chapters, he's been talking about man's ruined condition and God's rich salvation. Now Paul begins to encourage us to start serving God, turning what we've learned into our living for God. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Romans 12, chapter 12, verse 1. And it says this, Therefore, and we all know what therefore is there, it's there for a reason, There's a conclusion to something, and that's what Paul's trying to say. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You know, what he's saying, he's saying you've seen God's mercy now. And in view of that, give yourself completely over to God. That's a true act of worship. Before we trusted God, we used our bodies for sinful pleasures and different purposes. But now we belong to Christ, and God wants us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice for His glory, daily laying down our desires to follow Jesus, putting all of our energy and our resources at His disposal and trusting Him to guide us in everything that we do. But why? Why? Because our bodies are His temple. We learn that. Our bodies are the temple which when the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And we do this out of gratitude that our sins have been forgiven by Jesus Christ on the cross. And we give ourselves as a response to God's love for each and every one of us. Living to honor God and obey Him. Because the Holy Spirit of God dwells within each and every one of us. It's truly reasonable for us to give ourselves to the Lord as an act of worship, to make these new lives possible that we have. Just like Jesus had to take on a human body himself to accomplish God's will here on earth, Jesus actually died as a sacrifice, the perfect living sacrifice in obedience to his Father's will. We need to offer our bodies to Christ that he might continue to do his work through each and every one of us. It's a privilege for us to glorify Christ and magnify Christ in our bodies. God only wants the best for each and every one of us. And we know that there are great things waiting for all of us. And we don't want to miss any of those things right here or in eternity what God has for each and every one of us. So the point is we should joyfully give ourselves as a living sacrifice for his service. And then in verse 2, this is a really good verse. It says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, the world wants to control our minds, don't they? That's what the world wants with behaviors and customs that are usually selfish and often corrupt. And many Christ followers wisely decide that much of the worldly behavior is off limits to us. 
And God wants to transform our minds. The word transform is the same as transfigure. In Matthew 17, 2, it says this, There he, which is Jesus, was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. In the English language, the word here is metamorphosis. It's a metamorphosis, it's a change from within that God does to each and every one of us. The Holy Spirit is working inside and through each and every one of us. And right now, we could all be in in one of these two categories. Each of us could be in one of these two categories. Either we're a conformer or we're a transformer. You're hearing about the new Transformer movie that's out, right? So kind of plays in. But we are either a conformer or we're a transformer. Right now, have you ever heard the saying, people want to keep up with the Joneses? Right? I'll tell you what, I don't know who the Joneses are, but people want to keep up with them. They want to drive what they're driving. They want to live where they're living. They must be doing pretty well for themselves because everybody wants to do that. They must be pretty cool. But J.B. Phillips says this, I don't care what the world is doing. I'm not going to let it squeeze me into its mold. Amen? doesn't matter what the world is doing. I have a picture on a screen. It's a picture of a thermometer and a thermostat. And I have a question. Which one are you? A thermometer only reflects the temperature of the environment, adjusting to the situations at hand, possibly just adjusting to the culture that we live in. But a thermostat initiates action to change the temperature of the environment. The question is, are you a thermometer adjusting to the temperature of the culture, or are you a thermostat changing the climate of the culture? Some people have told me that sometimes they say, you know what, you're out of touch with the culture. I said, you know what, you're right, I am. I am, but I'm in touch with the truth, God's Word. We can be out of touch with the culture because we live by God's Word, the truth. The culture will change. It will keep on changing, like keeping up with the Joneses. But God's Word in Matthew 24, 35 says this, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. In Isaiah 48, the grass withers and the flowers fall but the word of our God endures forever. Amen? We live by the promises of God, not the explanations of the world. And my question again, are you a thermostat or are you a thermometer? Is culture changing you like a thermometer or are you changing the culture like a a thermostat? You might say, what's the point? What point are you trying to make? What I'm saying, don't be a thermometer. Don't adjust and conform to the world. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's what Paul is saying. Don't conform to the world. Be a thermostat. Change, transform, become more like Christ. God wants us to be transformed people with renewed minds. We're called not to conform to the patterns of this world. The world wants to change our minds because it tries to pressure us from the outside with TV, with media, 
social media, all these things are trying to get into our head. They're trying to change the way we think. But the Holy Spirit changes our minds by releasing His power within us. Be a transformer, saying, I'm in a whole different place than you are, world. We're not in the same place as the world is because we're living for eternity. We're preparing for heaven. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says this, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Amen? With a refusal to conform to the world's value, we must go deeper, though. We must go deeper in our behaviors and our customs. We must be firmly planted into the Word of God. And we must be, have His Word in our hearts and our minds. Being transformed by the renewing of our mind, only when the Holy Spirit renews us, He re-educates us and redirects our minds, then we are truly transformed into the image of Christ. The world wants to control our minds the way we think. They want us to be conformers to that. If God controls our thinking, we are transformers because we're transformed. We can change. We can keep up with things. We can keep our minds on Christ by keeping in his word. We give our whole bodies to him. That's the real key. Just like a living sacrifice, it's everything that we have, we give to the Lord for that. But it's incomplete unless he has our total mind, heart, and soul. Keep him on our mind, and it only happens when we continue to be in the Word of God. We need to be transformed, and we need to know that this book is not about knowledge. The Word of God is not about that we have the knowledge. It's about transformation, that the Word has changed us, and we are being more and more like Jesus Christ. We study the Word of God not just for the sake of studying it, but we do it in order that we can touch the Lord and He can touch us, transformed, becoming more in His image. John wrote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word becoming flesh became personable, touchable, and relatable. And this will transform each and every one of us. Saying, Lord, I'm reading your Word in order to hear from you, to hear your voice, to feel your touch in my life. This will transform us. And we will soar like on the wings of eagles when we have that. Now we're going to look at our humble service in the body of Christ. These next verses here. Verse 3, it says this. For by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. You know, a healthy self-esteem is important because some of us, sometimes we think too little of ourselves, don't we? And on the other hand, sometimes we think a little bit more of ourselves than we should. But the key to an honest and accurate evaluation 
of who we are and our self-worth is knowing our identity. And our identity is in Jesus Christ. We're that new creation in Christ. Apart from Christ, we aren't able to do very much by eternal standards. But in Christ, we are valuable and capable and worthy of service in the body of Christ. Evaluating ourselves by worldly standards of success and achievement can cause us to think much about the worth that we have in other people's eyes and miss the true value that God has for each and every one of us. And Paul warns us, he says, be careful. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Sometimes we get caught up in that, don't we? And our Lord has a way of bringing us back. Does he not? I've always said it's better to be humbled than to be humbled. And our Lord has a way of bringing us back. And Numbers 22, 28 is a very good example of that. This is Baal and the donkey. Most of you know this story, but it says, Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and it said to Balaam, What have I done to you to make you beat me three times? A donkey that speaks. God can and will use anyone in anything to do his will and his work. And then in verse 4 it says, For just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And Paul uses this concept of the human body to teach the Christians that we should live and work together in unity, always. Just as the parts of the body function under the direction of the brain, Christians work together under the command and authority of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit working through us. I'm going to tell you a quick story. Um, I heard this story, or I read this story. It was about a master's tool convention. I don't know if any of you have heard this, but the story goes like this. There was a brother, his name was Brother Hammer. And Brother Hammer was to oversee the meeting. And Brother Hammer called the meeting to order. And then Brother Screwdriver, he raised an objection. He said, Brother Hammer... You're too noisy at these meetings. You're always driving your point home, nailing people to the wall. I want your resignation. And Brother Hammer responded, Well, what about you, Brother Screwdriver? You're always spinning things around you. Everybody goes in circles around you. That may be true, Brother Screwdriver said, but at least I'm not like Brother Tape Measurer. I'm not like Brother Tape Measure. He thinks he's always right, measuring everyone by his own standards. Brother Tape Measure said, Well, if I'm out, I want Brother Pliers to be in charge of this meeting. He seems to have a grip on everything. <laughs> and he won't rub people the wrong way like Brother Sandpaper does. Just then, the master craftsman walked in, and he picked up his tools, and he took each one of those tools, 
at the perfect time and created an object of beauty. A lot of times we look at the gifts of other people and the way God made them and we think, boy, he's noisy, he's shallow, or they rub me the wrong way. They're always spinning things around. They're out of control. They need to get a grip until we finally come to the point where we understand that we are, there are many members of the body of Christ. The point is this. Each one of us has a part to play and a God-given function for us to fulfill within the body of Christ. We are all tools in our master carpenter Jesus' toolbox. It's for him to use us as he pleases. And then in verse 6, it says this. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. God's gifts differ in nature and power and effectiveness according to his wisdom and grace. It's according to the grace that was given to each one of us. This means that God will give the spiritual power necessary and appropriate to carry out each one of these responsibilities. We can't do it on our own. These gifts that God gives to his church, which are his people, and he gives us the faith and the power as he wills. These are motivational gifts that we're talking about right here. These aren't like the gifts of the Spirit. These are motivational gifts that God's given us. Our role is to be faithful and seek ways to serve others in what God has given us. And Paul lists these motivational gifts in the toolbox of our master carpenter. It's important that we understand that prophecy is not always just predicting the future. It's also about Scripture. It's about preaching the good news, declaring the truth. The Word of God burns within the hearts of those who have this gift of prophecy. They feel a pressure. They need to share the good news. They need to speak out. My question is, do you have that desire? Do you have that burning in your heart to share with people the good news about what Jesus has done for each and every one of you? Do you speak the truth to a lost world? And now let's look at these gifts in verse 7. It says, if it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. God gives us gifts so that we can build up the church. We can build up the body of Christ, but we must use them effectively. We must use the gifts that he's given us effectively. And Jesus did that so well. In Matthew 5, 27, he talks about adultery, but he goes and he expands on this. And he says this, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in her, with her in his heart. A teacher defines the truth, and Jesus defines the truth for each and every one of us. He goes deeper into the Word to define that truth for us. And we must know the truth and use our gifts effectively. 
We need to make sure that we're clear that not everyone has the same giftings. Not all of us. Remember the toolbox. Every one of us are different. But we do need to realize that all these gifts and abilities come from our God. Every one of them comes from God. And it says if your gift is exhortation to encourage people, then develop that. Speak the truth. You know, sometimes these people that encourage us, you know, they can give us a little boost or they can probably give us a little kick in the pants, right? Jesus was doing that, right? Oh, ye of little faith, right? When the disciples were in the storm on the boat, oh, ye of little faith. I said you were going to go to the other side. Come on, guys. What are you doing? They were fearful in this storm, and Jesus was right there with them. Sometimes we need that little bit of a kick, don't we? We need that kickstart. We need to know who we are and what we do best and dedicate our gifts to God and our service, not only for our own personal success, but we need to be willing to utilize our gifts wholeheartedly, not holding anything back from God's service. Serving in the church, serving in outreaches, in the mission fields, And he says about giving, if your gift is giving, exercise this gift generously. Give because it expands the kingdom of God. What about leading? What about leading? Sometimes there's things around the church that just have to be be done. And there's guys around this church that make those things happen. They pick up these tools, and I don't have it in here, but a thing of duct tape. And you know if you got duct tape, you can fix it, right? You can fix anything with duct tape. But that's who these guys are. They have a way of taking that. We have people within this body that know how to patch these things up. They just know how to make things happen. And their gifting is leading in these areas, doing everything decently and orderly. And that was so evident in Jesus' life. He exemplified this beautiful trait in his leadership as seen in his practical moment when Jesus instructed his disciples to make the multitude sit down in groups of 50 in Luke 9 so that they could feed them. It was just a crowd all over the place. But what did he do? He brought them to order. His leadership brought things into an orderly fashion. Ministry depicts the truth, and Jesus modeled this repeatedly. Jesus would teach the truth with mercy and then touch the people as an illustration of what he taught. In John 13, Jesus taught the disciples, and then he touched them. He washed their feet. And then in Matthew 20, 28, it says this, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and gave his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came and taught the truth to us about serving, and then he touched our lives on the cross. He touched each and every one of our lives on the cross. Ministering simply means serving, and that's what Jesus did for each and every one of us. Remember, we're all different, and this is the way it should be because this is God's plan. Because each person is functioning the way that God made them to be. 
And the point that Paul is making here is very simply this. Find your gift, grow, develop it to serve God, to expand his kingdom, and let others grow in theirs. Let them grow in their gifting. And now in verse 9, we're going to look at love as being a verb because it's an action. And this action is our loving participation within the lives of other brothers and sisters and non-believers. In verse 9, it says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Most of us have learned to pretend how to love others, haven't we? We pretend to speak kindly to them, avoiding hurting people's feelings, and we appear to have a real interest in them. We're skilled in these kind of things. We're skilled to show that we have compassion, but do we really have that compassion for others? When we hear of others' needs, are we moved to compassion? When we hear of that, are we upset when we hear of injustices that are happening? We're called to hate evil. You know, I was reading a commentary, and I put this in there, and I wasn't sure if I was going to use it, so you guys can tell me whether or not I use it. They said when you think of evil, you should think of evil as a cow pie. You guys know what cow pies are? They're nasty, aren't they? They're nasty. And so many things in our world are evil and nasty and appalling And they happen all around us all the time. So maybe we should treat it like a cow pie. Because it's nasty. And it's evil. And it's disgusting. But God calls us to a real sincere love that goes way beyond politeness. Find God's will by giving our life to Him. By keeping our minds on Him and His love for each and every one of us. It's not about the culture because the culture can be very evil. Loving him with all our hearts and our minds. A sincere love requires commitment and effort. This means helping people grow to be like Christ. This demands our time. We need to be intentional with our personal involvement with other people. Are you intentional in other people's lives? Just ask yourselves that. Am I being intentional in other people's lives? Jesus was intentional, and he had compassion. Remember when he came into Jerusalem, he saw them, and he said he had compassion on them because they were sheep that were lost, and they didn't have a shepherd. He was intentional and had compassion. And the body of Christ has the capacity to express this kind of love and compassion to a lost world. But do we do that? Do we express this love and this compassion to the people who are around us that are lost? Do we look at the people around us who need this love? And do we show them the love of Christ? And God's way to honor people is through love. Next point is, as Christians, we honor people because they have been created in God's image. Everyone is created in God's image. We're to love everyone. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. Also because they have a unique contribution to make to God's church. God's way of honoring people to love them can sound difficult. 
But in Philippians 2, 3 through 4, it makes it kind of easy. It says this, Do not out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Amen? So I want to put a challenge out there for you. Why not try to do that? Why not put the interests of other people above yours? Try to outdo that. Try to outdo that by showing how much you love them by putting their interests above your others. Put other people first in your life. And then verse 11, it says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. People are more interested in our credentials, aren't we? We're more interested in who we are, the positions that we have, but our Lord is not interested in any of that. What He's interested in is our character. He's interested in our heart, who we are from the inside. And church, we'll never know the test that our Lord has been putting in front of us. Each and every day there could be a test of your character, and we don't know that. But God knows each and every one of those tests that He puts there. Here's the thing, whatever you do, be fervent for the Lord. However simple that service might be or how insignificant that might seem. Paul says, maintain your spiritual zeal because we are serving the Lord and not men. It's about serving God, not about serving men. And when life becomes difficult, a Christ follower cannot present, let our zeal go cold for the Lord. Keeping our zeal in doing this, you might be getting ready for even a greater service to the Lord. In verse 12, it says this, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And this is such a beautiful verse. Let these three things just grow in your heart. Be joyful in hope and patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. In your walk with the Lord, you'll become closer to Him each and every day. Verse 13 says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Paul reminds us right now that we must care about other people. Christian hospitality differs from social entertaining, doesn't it? It's different from that because entertaining focuses on the host. The home must be spotless, the food well prepared and in abundance, right? Can't run out of food got to have food for everybody and the host must appear relaxed and good-natured and christian fellowship is much more than a pat on the back and a handshake hospitality by contrast focuses on the guests their needs whether for a place to stay or a nourishing meal a listening ear or just acceptance these are the primary concerns for us Sharing the burdens and the blessings of others. When we do this, we will grow together and glorify God. And this can happen around a messy house, a can of soup for dinner, or while a host and a guest are just doing chores together. Because hospitality means very simply, hospital. And we know the church is a hospital. It's for hurting and lonely, and broken people. And we're to show love to all those people that come our way. 
Don't hesitate to offer hospitality just because you're too tired, you're too busy, or you're not wealthy enough because we're rich in Christ. Hospitality is serving others. Remember this, Scripture says, you could possibly entertain, be entertaining angels. So use the gift of hospitality. And Paul now will close this chapter with advice, which seems to suggest our response that should be made to those who are hostile towards Christian believers. In verse 14, it says, Blessed, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. In several places, Paul's words will echo Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, 9 through 10, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we obey God and we seek Him, we're going to have opposition, and we're going to have enemies, people who will oppose the gospel, and they will oppose us as well. When Jesus ministered here on earth, He had enemies. The disciples all had enemies enemies, people who opposed the work of advancing the kingdom of God and the gospel. And we know that we won't get along with everybody, and not everybody will like us, right? Imagine that. But it's true. And Jesus warned the disciples of this. He said that the worst enemies might be those in your own household. In Matthew 10, 36, he said this, a man's enemies will be members of his own household. How do we get along with people who persecute you? With a humble attitude and a willingness to share the love of Christ with a blessing. To bless them, to be humble with them. In verse 15, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Sometimes it's harder to rejoice with those who are rejoicing, right? than it is to weep with those who are weeping. I think it's, it's easier to show and be empathetic with someone, with our fellow brothers and sisters who are going through a difficult situation. They're suffering than it is to rejoice with someone else's success, isn't it? How did they get that dream job? Why do they always get the big breaks? Why are they so fortunate and I don't get anything? Sometimes we often wonder about those things, don't we? But we are to be genuinely happy over the achievements of others. We should be genuinely happy that they got that job, that they were fortunate to have whatever it was happen to them. This is a practical way as believers that we can work on our relationship with others by showing them love. Paul doesn't say preach to those who are mourning. He says mourn with those who are mourning. And what do we do? We just mourn with them without questioning God's goodness in this process. Weeping and rejoicing with those who are hostile to us are also a way for us to overcome evil with good. And then verse 16, it says this, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Now, Paul, being a Pharisee, 
He knew all well, good and well, what it meant to have disdain and to look down on people, right? I'm the Pharisee of Pharisees. He looked down on these people. But arrogance is never more distasteful when it has a religious label attached to it. Paul cautioned and warned them against any form of spiritual arrogance and pride. And he says, with your actions and your reactions, be careful climbing any social or intellectual or spiritual ladders, stepping over people or stepping on people to get what you want. And then verse 17, it says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Paul is being extremely practical here. Live at peace with everyone as far as it is possible, okay? He does throw that in there because sometimes it just doesn't work. Because what is our first thought? Our first thought is to fight back, right? Paul is saying don't retaliate. Don't take revenge. We're not even to lash out and condemn those who persecute us in any way. When evil methods are used to fight evil forces, evil becomes the winner. When evil and evil come together, evil is the winner. And Jesus on the cross, what did he say when they were hanging him? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that's what this lost world is. They don't know what they're doing and as Christians, we need to be a, have our minds transformed. We're, we have our minds transformed, and we must not stoop to the taxes of those around us whose minds have not been renewed, who have not been saved by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this verse gives us guidance for our relationships with our brothers and sisters and non-Christians as well. We live with eternity in mind, and that requires us to live differently. It requires us to love our enemies. This is a genuine love in action, wanting to the best for others, no matter who they are or what they have done. It's a genuine love like Christ. And then verse 19, it says this, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Forgiveness involves both attitude and actions. If you find it difficult to forgive someone towards, have forgiveness towards someone who has hurt you, try responding with kind actions. Try to respond with kind actions. Tell this person that you would like to heal the relationship. The point is, vengeance is the Lord's. Our responsibility is to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what we get to do. Let God do what he does. And we love our brothers and sisters. Many times you'll discover that the right attitude and the right actions and love lead to healed and restored relationships. And then verse 20, it says, On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, this verse summarizes the core of our Christian living. 
These words are easy to read, but they're very difficult to put into practice, aren't they? They're difficult for us to do. And Paul points out that we're to take the high road in our conduct and how we live and what we've learned. So our learning turns into living, and it's our conduct. We take the high road. If we love someone the way Christ loves us, we, be, we will be willing to forgive them. If you've experienced God's grace, you want to pass that grace and that love along to others. Acting in this Christ-like manner, it's like one beggar telling another beggar where he can get bread, the bread of life. God's grace is undiscerned favor, and none of us deserve it. And by giving an enemy a drink, we're not excusing his misdeeds. What we are doing is we are recognizing him, we are forgiving him, and loving him in spite of his sins, just as Jesus did for each and every one of us. It's not about making someone embarrassed or making them uncomfortable. That wouldn't be love at all, would it? Rather, the burning coals is some type of repentance it's about a repentance that they have. And love will bring more people to repentance than retaliation or revenge ever will. And this is the key that Paul wants us to learn. This vicious cycle of evil will be broken by a self-giving, self-sacrificial love. A love that gives affirmation and goodwill to other people. Just like Jesus gave to us. Give your whole body, your heart, your mind, and soul over to Jesus, keeping him on our mind in all of our life's situations, and enjoy his presence, and suddenly we'll have all the desires of our hearts according to his will. I'm simple enough to believe that if I delight in him, he will change my desires and transform and conform me to his perfect will and his plan for my life. Staying in his presence, staying in his word, he's the one that said, I am the way. It's not a plan that he gives us. It's who I am for you. It's God's will for each and every one of us. Cling close to Jesus Learn from him. Allow him to touch your heart so you can touch others. Keep him on your mind, and you'll be right where you're supposed to be in your giftings and in your relationships in every way. Jesus said this, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And you'll see that because we're living for eternity and we're preparing for heaven. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you this day. Thank you for the rain that we had, and thank you for your word. Father, we, we ask that you would just continue to speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would move through us, that we would live out what we're learning, to bless the people who persecute us, to give our enemies a drink of water, to show the love that you showed each and every one of us, a love that we didn't deserve, and it's a love they probably don't deserve. But that's who we're trying to be like, Jesus. Father, transform us into the image of your Son. May we live by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.